think the big thing this year is just going to continue to see more people diversify and test other methodologies of how they can drive sales with the disruption, if you will, of what's going on with uh, Facebook. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet, explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have my close friend, Dave Stellato. Dave is the Chief Growth Officer at DFO Global, which is a nine-figure revenue global performance marketing agency. Wow, what does that mean? Well, it means that they are massive. They have over 400 employees spanning 10 offices on five continents. They have driven the, the sales of over 100 patented products and thousands of unpatented ones. They have customers in over 180 countries and that's in part because of one of their superpowers, which is the superpower of translation and selling into the countries that the rest of us just dream of being able to reach. They, they sell into them and crush. So dozens of languages and they drive sales through their network of over 3,000 publishers as well as their own massive internal teams of media buyers, creatives, fulfillment, legal, all of the above. They are a massive, massive player in the online performance marketing world and so I am delighted to welcome Dave to the stage to learn all about what it is they do and how they do it so well. So without further ado, Dave, how's it going? Doing well, thanks for having me, Martin. Great to have you, buddy. So whereabouts in the world are you right now? I am in uh, Nutley, New Jersey, about a half hour outside New York City. Nice. And are there any offices in New York City? So funny question. Uh, we actually typically have an office about uh, two blocks south of Times Square, but thanks to our friend COVID-19, we've since shuttered that. But as all great digital marketing companies are, we can work remotely from anywhere. So I've been enjoying spending a lot more time with my wife and kids, but uh, we'll have another location here fairly soon enough as things are starting to open back up. Amazing. All right. So what we like to do on this show is we like to go back. We like to go back to a point in time which really serves as a kicking off point or a, or a significant milestone, if you like, in your journey as a master of the internet. Is there a time in your early years which really serves as a great kicking off point to your internet selling story? And if so, could you take us back then and paint a word picture? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, going all the way back, um, it was like eighth grade. I was trying to save for a car and I, my father had run a, a retail store, kind of like a discount Kmart up and down the East Coast of the States. Essentially, um, him and a bunch of the bosses would meet on the weekends uh, to have breakfast before going in. I mean, my brother would go be stock boys and paint the parking lot lines and do whatever we could to make extra cash. So they're having a meeting one day talking about sales and advertising. Uh, and I'm sitting there in AOL dial-up brat basically saying, hey, why don't you guys send these advertisements through email? You know, this was circa 1996, 1997. Little did I wish I knew what I knew then. Uh, but uh, long story short, my brother went to continue to paint the parking lot lines. They put me in the air-conditioned office, doubled my salary, and I started doing their newspaper print ads uh, twice a week for the state paper. Fast forward that, you know, going through all high school, doing that on the side. Um, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for college. My father slaps me in the back of the head and says, you're going 
computers. So I went to DePaul University in Chicago, got my degree in e-commerce, which was half computer programming and half marketing, worked for a beautiful web development shop out there for a handful of years, learned I was much better at the gift of gab than I was at coding, but took the lessons learned there and to be able to talk to technical people. Um, and then from there, went from different tech to different tech. I learned a lot about search engine optimization and reputation management, programmatic video, native advertising. Uh, and finally, I, I found my dear friends uh, and one of the co-founders at DFO, Jordan Roland, who brought me on here uh, to help start off by building out a programmatic video business, but eventually, overtaking our uh, e-commerce network and comprehensive e-com model. Beautiful. And uh, our mutual friend Jordan is a, a guest on the show as well, an alumni, if you like, of, of the Smarter Destiny podcast. And uh, that was a hell of an interview. Likewise, the, the, the dude is, uh, I mean, he, he's a legitimate, shall we say, but uh, maybe not as well known as, uh, as, as many others. Um, it was it's quite incredible to have hung out with him and you both on, uh, you know, very very glamorous locations that that we like to throw uh, the various masterminds at and so you went through so you you learned all the programming side but then realized that actually you've got a gift of the gab and that actual um which which sometimes can be rare amongst the amongst say developers and programmers you're you you've learned the the ability to be able to articulate what is happening and and the end result of what could happen if you work together and i, I think i think that's very very important in this world and, and you know painting beautiful pictures that get the other people excited and and it, about working together and so i can see how you you fitted so well into your role um at dfo so your chief growth officer at dfo what does that mean what does that entail what are you growing there yeah, so my primary focus is that is a third-party business um First and foremost, I oversee the Verve Direct uh, affiliate network. So that's our e-commerce network of over 3,000 publishers you noted earlier. Um, and we help with third-party partners scaling uh, their offers and brands through cost for acquisition marketing, right? So we take on the risk of the media buys with our affiliates and the partner will only pay us uh, when sales are achieved. The other thing that I think is important to note about DFO versus other performance marketing agencies is we're an e-tailer ourselves as well. So we have our own patented products. We've developed our own SaaS technology for deriving direct consumer sales. We have our own customer service centers all throughout the world and even fulfillment. So I, the other part of my, my journey here is to help partners of ours who may have a great product or something somewhere in the early stages, but need to learn how to get through the, the complexities of e-com. And so we work with them learning from our lessons and help build and fill in the blanks for them. And that's a really enjoyable part because you can kind of see something from inception to where it's scaling into multi-million dollars. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I don't know um, how much of them you can share, but we've certainly spoken off air about uh, brand owners or product owners that have jumped in and really, like you said, not necessarily known how to sell at massive scale online, but by partnering with you guys and plugging into your existing systems. Uh, have seen massive like multi eight figure growth certainly the brand I've got in mind um, who who the founder of which has also been on this show um, you know the that kind of growth as a result of uh, you know leaving leaving the uh, the the unknown parts to the experts um, shall we say okay so you you mentioned about removing the risk from from the the brand owner by um, charging on a CPA what does what does CPA mean what let's let's um let's debunk some of these these terms or explain some of these terms so we've got cpas we've got publishers 
um, like what does what does this mean? So if I'm a brand owner, um, what what does this mean? What are these definitions? Sure. So CPA, you know, simple cost per acquisition. What is the fee you're going to pay for acquiring a new customer, right? So in most traditional marketing agencies, when you're working with an agency, you're going to have a media budget plus agency fee. Most of these to even get in the door for a, a good network or excuse me, agency, you're going to be paying anywhere in between a 50 to 100K minimum month spend and anywhere between an 8 to 20% agency fee. And so where we are different is we're putting our money where the mouth is and essentially saying, look, we're willing to take on this opportunity. We're going to partner with you. And so we're going to take on the risk of the media buy. And if it scales, you're going to make a lot of money and we're going to make a lot of money. But if it doesn't, then we're both in the same boat. So um, especially for newer startup folks, they prefer this methodology because they may be bootstrapping. And I mean, I think the other thing that's important to know is we're all about measurable acquisition i mean this this model doesn't work for everything you're not going to do this for selling a car online it's for things that are in high demand high velocity sales lightweight easy to ship things that are everyday use products things that are going to solve a problem you know promote wellness promote saving time money um these are the types of things that work well in a direct consumer marketing and when we say publisher affiliate really what it is is it's a third-party media buyer someone who's willing to take on pulling the levers and using their budgets to help drive the sales on the advertising platform so they could be doing this through facebook or instagram they could be doing this on native platforms like outbrain tabula yahoo gemini you know paid search of google and bing um, and even email list brokers and so it's not a traditional publisher in the sense where like a reader's digest or time magazine although it could be on those types of publications usually in this reference it's someone or some team of individuals who know how to buy media on these platforms and arbitrage Absolutely. I, I like to think of publishers as people who control eyeballs or attention. So it, like you said, it could be that someone that's great at Facebook ads. It could be someone that just has a very large um, profile, right? They could they, they could organically command millions of followers across the, one of their socials. It, you know, a master of some kind of attention somewhere who sees... I guess the, the the product that you guys have teed up to them and you said, hey, we've got this great new product. It, um, it I think it will work very, very well. Here's how it's performing elsewhere. And they can see the uh, the, the, the capabilities and, and the future, if you like, of, of this product and, and, and want to get behind it. And so from from the brand owner's perspective, the, 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 the beauty is that they know that they don't have to pay anything unless a sale is made by you guys. They they pay a straight cost per acquisition. So, you know, it's a product that's selling, say, a hundred bucks and they'll pay, you know, you'll, you'll agree up front, they'll pay you maybe 40 bucks or something. And on, a, on average, it's generating a hundred bucks sales or something. And, and, and they're good. They know that they can pay for the 40 bucks out of the hundred bucks they've just sold it for. And, um, and as you said, you guys take all the risk. Is that about right? It's about right. I mean, on, on the actual funnel sides, I mean, the one thing I would differentiate for people is this type of type of marketing doesn't work going to a general catalog card site, right? So if you have a, a Shopify site that has a thousand SKUs, um, throwing pay at it, it's not always going to back out that way. So having a proper direct response funnel where you're focusing on possibly one hero product, you're incentivizing people to take multiple quantities of that. So that's going to boost your average order value. And then once you've gotten that initial acquisition, offering relative sister products, where when you're on Amazon and you see people who bought this also bought this and this in a one-click funnel format. So in a one-click upsell format, basically 
basically you're allowing people to take those additional goods without having to re-enter in their payment or shipping information. And this is a way that's going to help boost your average ticket sale. And then that will also cover your media costs and leave you some nice margins as well. Absolutely. It's it's a bit of a, um, a change of like a, it's a it's a different mindset to to the kind of the the, the Shopify e-commerce model where you're, you're driving tra- traffic to your store, maybe to your catalog page. And like you said, they're sort of browsing through the catalog. And actually what um, a great way to to get more of that money that has been historically left on the table as a successful Shopify brand you know, a, a brand owner that, that is hosted on Shopify and you're driving to a traditional e-commerce shopping experience, a great way to to unlock a lot of that money which you've historically left on the table without realizing is actually to take whatever your top product is or your top couple of products and turn and put those into, like you said, a funnel whereby the focus for the consumer, they're being driven to that funnel and really their only option at the beginning is to buy this headline product and then it's only once they've gone through the actual purchase experience they can take the uh, maybe one or two other complementary products, um, other SKUs that, that that you have available. But by but they're encouraged to purchase higher quantities of that product, which is you know what you said earlier on in terms of consumable or lightweight or those kind of products work better rather than I don't know buy one shed get three more sheds like might not work so well right like the, the hey would you like five sheds today no i just want one my garden's a certain size we'll be getting right back into it but first a quick word from our sponsors let me ask you something what percentage of your revenue comes from email if it's less than 20 percent, then you may well be leaving money on the table with my brand newbrew.com 20% of our revenue is driven by email. Why? Because I myself got out of the way and let the email experts handle it. You see, with previous brands, email was often an afterthought, right? I would rely on sales, email sales, 20% off today, 15% off today, and rarely spared the time to do it properly. You know, split testing subject lines, keeping the list hygiene high, nurturing our sending reputation, and figuring out the ways to engage our list and drive sales without doing sales or discounts or scarcity just by engaging them. So who are these experts? Well, in our case, they're a fantastic agency from Canada called And Bam, a fantastic name by the way. And they've literally helped hundreds of brand owners, many of whom have been on this very show, generate consistently high revenue from email. Right now, Ambam are offering free account audits to Smarter Destiny listeners. They'll go through your email account in detail and make personalized recommendations to boost your email sales. If you then want to take the leap and work with them, then I highly recommend you do so, but you don't need to. Head to smarterdestiny.com slash BAM and book a call. I highly recommend it. Okay, let's jump back into the interview. Okay, so we're in we're in 2021 now. And we've seen a few shakeups in, in the uh, e-com space, the direct response space. Uh, performance marketing space right we've seen we've seen challenges around um tracking most recently ios 14 we've seen challenges around uh ad networks perhaps tightening up or getting more expensive what are you seeing as great ways to 
pivot or or tweak your marketing in 2021 that 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 is working now that but maybe didn't work before or what things are you seeing that did work before but aren't necessarily working as well now it's a great question I, I think one of the things that stands out to me and you're referencing that ios 14 update you know facebook has been the 800 pound gorilla in the ad platform for targeting venue for a lot of media buyers and i think this has forced a bunch of those talented media buyers to, to diversify i've seen some really nice pickups uh, in an old but trusted source which is youtube you know, people forget, but YouTube is the second largest search engine on the web against Google, right? Um, but also Pinterest has been a nice uh, diversified avenue. So one one Cinderella story here is, uh, you know, I've had a product offering I've been working on with a partner who's done well on actually on-air shopping sales. Um, and we've had their offer for quite some time and it, it's done a little bit of volume. And, you know, sometimes you just need to get the right affiliate or the right type of traffic source. And we tried a various different avenues and, and, and got, you know, 20 sales there, 100 sales there, but nothing consistent. And being able to get this launched on Pinterest, it's now scaling over a thousand sales a day. And it's nothing changed on the product, nothing has changed on the marketing creative. It's just literally the avenue of where we're able to get the ads placed and the, the target demo that's there. So um, I think the big thing is seeing more diversification and more people testing some of these other avenues. You know, people forget uh, oftentimes about things like Snapchat, you know, but uh, one of my dear friends was telling me the other day how there's some people crushing it on there, right? Um, and other avenues such as TikTok, you know, where it's still in its infancy, but people finding things um, on how to make it work there. So I think the big thing this year is just going to continue to see more people diversify and test other methodologies of how they can drive sales with the disruption, if you will, of what's going on with uh, Facebook. Absolutely. And we've been a, here at Smart Destiny, we've been a big fan of, of the omni omni traffic approach, um, the omni marketing approach and, and, and always exploring, dedicating a little bit of budget to explore other traffic sources. And we've had some great experts on this show, folks. If you search for YouTube, you'll find a bunch of experts in YouTube. Van Oaks was the, the Snapchat um, expert that we've had on quite recently. Um, we've had LinkedIn ads people and Facebook ads people, of course email marketing there's a lot of um various different experts um that have been on the show and uh yeah it's definitely there is a, a world of options out there that aren't just facebook and i think we've been spoiled a little bit with facebook traffic you know it's very very easy to create an ad you can create very very targeted ads and all of the courses all the training all the gurus are all sort of pointing at facebook and yet there's this world of blue ocean that isn't Facebook if you're willing to sort of jump in and, and um, it, you know, play with it a little bit and, and speculate a little bit with, with your money. You're not going to jump in and be profitable on day one. But if you figure it out, you can find yourself playing in a much less competitive uh, place with, with tons of traffic. And like you said, you, you, um, YouTube is the second largest search engine. People are actively on there searching and learning and trying to, um, you know, figure things out. And it's a, it's a quite a targeted um, playing field to, to play in, if you like. So that's, uh, that's super interesting there. What about uh, translation? So we, we talked about, um, we talked about this uh, in the introduction or I, I teed it up, shall we say, why should, uh, What's the difference between having a Shopify store and changing your Facebook ads to just, uh, you know, target 
all of these other countries that don't speak English, maybe using a Shopify plugin or something to to translate the store roughly into Spanish or French or German or, or, or what have you, and what you guys do. Sure. So, you know, translation and, and what we like to call it internally is culturalization. Um, the biggest thing here is it's a lot more than just, you know, the, the language and the, the text copy translation, right? So if I have a page, I, I don't want to serve that up in someone's native language, but I want to make sure there's other variety of factors that speak to them, right? The images I use, if I'm using models and people, I want to use people that are going to resonate with them, not people from another country they may have never met. I also want to make sure that if I'm going to give them the ability to buy something that I'm doing in their local currency. And one step even beyond that is if there's alternative payment methods, such as, you know, if we're selling into the uh, Netherlands, they have Ideal, which is like their version of PayPal or Germany, so forth, or Brazil, Boleto. These are all things that are going to help optimize and make sure you're driving higher velocity of sales, especially if you're going up against a competitor who's not doing these things. Your offer is going to resonate much more. And the other thing, I mean, even just going back down to the simplest of language translations, if someone's come to your page and you're using a dynamic translation. I mean, a lot of these services are getting better, but it, it's still a robot translating them. So sometimes someone's reading this and they're going to see some errors or something that doesn't make logical sense. And they may question the validity of the page or the offer. And so having that actual local and culturalized page, is going to make a very big difference when, especially you're targeting paid media um, and you're looking to back that out into an ROI. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting what you said there. It's, it's not just the, the, the changing the words and, and changing the, the targeting. It's actually fitting your product like you said into their culture so so um it surprised me when uh, you know a, f a few years ago um it may even have been jordan that, that, that told me this um but the the aha moment the epiphany was if you tried to sell in certain for example we'll take some latin american countries for example if you try and sell in brazil and you've just got stripe and paypal on your checkout page 90 percent of brazilians even if they want to can't buy from you they don't have the means to to pay you to give you money in in um if, if that's all you're offering um and so going down to a payment processing um level and and what what payment offerings is is wow can you imagine doing all that hard work you know, getting getting a customer, getting them to the checkout. They want to buy from you. They want to buy five things from you, and then they can't actually give you the money. I mean, painful, painful. So you guys do all that, right? Yeah. So this is one of the benefits again of us being and uh, having, in addition to our performance agency, being an internal merchant and having you know ten global offices around the world. We've got boots on the ground. We've been able to set up localized payment methods and not even just localized in alternative payments, but there's a difference whether you're accepting traditional credit cards with a US processing entity versus if you're using a UK processing entity or something else, depending on where you're looking to accept payments. When the banks see that that credit card transaction come through based on how well they can grade it, you know, so if we're matching up a UK customer with a UK processor, most likely you're going to have a higher approval rate than you would if it's a UK customer with a US processor, right? So these are the things that you know you take into consideration and if you can have your technology work for you in your favor it's going to help you scale much better not just for the advertiser but for the third-party media partners who are, who are taking on that arbitrage absolutely what other things do you often see missed or like 
if you you're you're obviously you've you've got your your ears and eyes to the ground uh, constantly and you're, and you're you're checking out various brands that are selling on the internet and you're seeing great brands and you're seeing less great brands what observations have you made for should we say opportunities often missed out um on by the brands that you're seeing Sure. You know, I, I think there's a, a few things uh, in the marketing copy. You know, the copy is half of it. I mean, having a strong headline call to action is really what's going to grab someone's attention and drive them through. But putting in simple things like insinuating why they should have more than just one product, right? It's not just good for the home, but good for the office. Right there, you may have already made people think, oh, I need two of these versus just one. And it's simple little changes like that can make a big difference in your overall revenue. One other thing I think that's really big that's missed a lot in the performance world is people are so focused on that initial acquisition and profitability is they forget about LTV and remarketing. So being able to remarket people with your email list and upsell them additional products or even SMS huge uh and, you know i have a lot of friends in the space who have left money on the table for years not having a proper remarketing strategy and sometimes it doesn't even need to be your own products let's say you have a small SKU count to start you know some of our best uh email publishers if you will are other e-commerce clients of ours where they've built up such a large client list we can take that demo that they're selling to so maybe one of our clients is selling a, a pain relief cream and you know there's another client selling a knee brace you know they're in the same genre but they're not competing with each other technically they can become each other's affiliates remarketing to those so interesting ways to drive more revenue for the overall business i love that <clears throat> and, and even yeah i mean that is something what you said then i mean the the headline is is important but i think often missed that that in the copy in the in the the site in the visuals you know and this is something you could apply to even to your shopify product page you know to to your ads sowing that seed that actually there might be a benefit to having more than one of your product i think any any product out there there is an argument why more for you know two for not twice the price slightly less than twice the price or three for slightly less than um, three times the price and so on of one that is um there, there isn't many examples whereby you couldn't come up with a case for why they should buy more than one of your your products whether it's a gift for a relative or it's uh, like you said having one at home one in the office uh having spares uh you know helping out family friends all all of the above is 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 a viable thing that you could uh, sow the seed what's your does any spring to mind for a particular kind of product where it felt like a real stretch to to insinuate that multiple would be good but you still got there and that you could share like what what it was that you could get there with um, that's a tough one. You know, it's uh, because part of when we're going through and grading the types of products to even bring into this model, we look for things that are, are going to work well that way. You know, you know, I think the classic a lot of people have used is uh, a wine refrigerator, right? Like, why would people need a wine refrigerator? It's a great product, but it's not going to sell well multiple quantities. It's heavy to ship all of that. But maybe that's the, maybe that's the remarketing product. Maybe that's at the back of the funnel. Maybe the, the entrance is a corkscrew. And so, well, there's a great argument for you. You should have multiple corkscrews, right? You need one for the house, one for the kitchen, maybe one in the dining room. Um, and then from there, you can upsell them wine of the month club, and then you can get them their, your bigger, clunkier items. But, uh, you know, as far as 
anything where, you know, the one I'm still, I'm still, uh, I've gone back and forth with a few friends on because there's been a hot trend of these lately and I, we haven't built it out in a funnel, but I would be interested to see if it works as air fryers. Um, I've seen a huge spike in those and I've talked to some folks um, because it's, it's a bigger item, but everybody being at home and now being the, the, the home gourmets since no one can go to restaurants. Um, I've seen a big uptick in those. I've used one personally. I love them. Um, but it, to me, it, it doesn't check enough boxes where it's like, do I want two of those on my counter or not? But I guess you could always say, well, yeah, well, you have one at your house, maybe one at the office or your vacation home. So it's, it's all about larger the, meals the for larger families, perhaps. Uh, right, yeah, and yeah, testing. Yeah, yeah, there's some of those uh, challenges. Well, and, and I think the big thing is that brings up a good point about the whole space. I mean, you know what you know, and uh, so know who your user is and, and know you're not your user, right? So nine out of 10 times, you're not your end customer. So test, test, and test everything. And, you know, it takes money, especially on media, to test, but you're not burning money. You're, you're, you're paying for an education. So you're going to learn what works and what doesn't work. And part of that is how you optimize your campaigns, and then you get to profitability and scale. So you've seen a lot of data, you've seen a lot of sales across a lot of SKUs across a lot of brands, like you're uniquely positioned to see um, like a, a massive portion of the e-commerce landscape, what's working, what wasn't working, what was changed to make it work and so on and so on. What um, would be your maybe three go-to levers. So, so you said about testing, split testing, you know, tweaking to, to, to find that winning combination. What kind of things do you, do you, have you found historically, like often tweaking that will result in, um, you know, an, an uptick in some way? Sure. So I think the most common things are testing different cost to consumers, right? So obviously you need to make sure the offer is profitable, but testing, you know, a higher price point, a lower price point. Sometimes you'll be surprised that a higher price will actually convert better because sometimes people will see a price and think, well, that's too cheap for this. That means it's probably not a quality product when it's a great quality product. But I think there's an old case study from back in the day. There was a competitor to Microsoft Office. I think it was called Open Office or Star Office. I can't remember, but they did a study where they were trying to get the software away and no one would adopt it and then they, they rolled out the same software and i think they gave a 50 or 75 dollar charge and it actually was selling well so um testing price points is one thing that's very interesting that, that can make or break an offer um i think checking checkout formats you know certain consumers consume products and buy in certain ways so some people prefer mobile devices some people prefer desktop or tablet so having different checkout formats and being able to optimize for the types of avenues so we may use one checkout type if we're promoting a product on Facebook and use a different type of promoting a product on a native advertising platform so looking at those different things because that can make all the difference um, otherwise I mean payment methods payment methods are I mean you don't want to roll out everything to everyone because you don't want to give people info glut and too many options but understanding where your demo is coming from and where they're buying you know having things like Apple pay Google pay always PayPal is necessary if you, if you really want to scale I'm interested to see how Venmo is going to come in and things like cash app and square as those continue to evolve but these are other things that are going to help with removing friction from the process that's really what optimization is all about you're motivating people, getting them to buy in why they want this, why they need this product in their life, and then removing any friction there is for them purchasing from you.
I like that. And you mentioned getting to know your customer better, getting to know like where they're coming from, how they're consuming, and what 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 ways do you suggest users can um, better understand who is uh, prospecting and then buying from them? Obviously, having all your proper tagging with all your Google Analytics and the variety of analytics platforms. I mean, using heat mapping, tracking your conversion and click through rates from you know top of the funnel down. You know, understanding who's coming through from your ad level to your pre-sale to your interstitial. Um, and then again, targeting different demo types on different ad platforms. I, I think the one thing where people fall off is they always jump to Facebook to test a new product where, as I, I shared a story earlier, you know, we had a great product. We, we did plenty of tests on Facebook and it just really didn't take off for us. Got it on Pinterest and now it's scaling to the moon and back. But now we've seen from that and what's working on Pinterest, we've actually had a new Repubs launch on Facebook and they're having success there. Not the same level as Pinterest, um, but the, the targeting demo, the age demographic is the same. So understanding there's different types of consumers that may fill in the same similar fields, but different avenues are going to produce different results. I love that. And actually, in, in that case, it, the, the the publisher wasn't necessarily sorry the, the brand owner wasn't able to make it work really anywhere tried pinterest um had a lot of success on pinterest and then had a lot of learnings on top of that that they were then able to take back to the previously unsuccessful placements and platforms and then make them work and so it's a it's a, a cyclical it's not just rule it out it doesn't work um but use the data from wherever you can get it to to make informed tests and tweaks to to make it work Love that. Where can people learn more about DFO? Sure. I mean, the simplest place is go to our website, dfo.global. Um, but you can always hit me or my colleagues up directly on LinkedIn or any of the social media platforms. You'll even find a few folks on Clubhouse chatting away usually if you're on there. So Beautiful. All right. So at this part of the show, we like to mix it up. We go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly. You can take your time if you want to to answer them or you can answer them quickly as is your preference are you up for that absolutely are you two thumbs up up for that you got it there they are there <laughs> we go all right let's jump in question one if you ever had to start again how would you make your money Ooh, uh, uh same way uh, maybe something more with food because uh, i'm a i'm a meditarian i love to cook that's what i do when my head's not on a computer screen so maybe marrying away between my love for technology and innovation and that a bit more. Nice. What's the most common or biggest mistake leaders make? I think leaders, the biggest mistake some leaders make is they don't listen to their own staff and their own, they hire people strategically to help guide them and make those decisions. So know that you're not always the smartest person in the room to make sure you default to the smartest person in the room for that subject. Who is a great leader, whether alive or dead, and why? Great question. I mean, in the econ world, obviously, we can go with uh, the Bezoses or the Musks. Um, but, you know, I, I love Dale Carnegie. Uh, you know, my origins in sales. I mean, he was a, a statesman in how to win friends and influence people. And I think in uh, this industry and world, I mean, with digital, it's, it's much smaller, right? I mean, we have friends and colleagues from Bulgaria to Thailand to Australia to New York. And um, being able to not just influence people and educate people, but learn from them is huge and understanding and giving accolades for that. How do you hire top talent? I look for someone for the role um, that is better than I could do it and smarter. And 
that's usually it. I mean, I, I have my process for how I'll grill and verify that, but uh, I always look for someone who's the best at what they do and better than anyone that we have currently so we can learn and improve the overall company from them. Do you have one question you'd like to ask in the interview that you could share with us that might be a bit different to the traditional ones? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I always ask people what's their favorite food. Uh, it's just something that's disarming, gets them to go. Uh, you know, it's a sideways question and then tells you a little bit about them they're normally not sharing in an interview. Is there an answer to that question that might turn you off completely to them? No, it's always, uh, it's, look, I'm a, uh, like I said, I, I love to eat everything. So it's always interesting to see what people like, don't like. Um, but usually it's funny because it will turn into people selling what they don't like when you ask them what they did like too. So it's a <laughs> funny common answer. I like that. And it would open them up. I, I, I imagine if someone said like flat out, my favorite food's cucumber, I would struggle. I think, I think I would struggle to trust them from that point forward. You know, okay. no, I'm kidding. But <laughs> if cucumber is your favorite food, you've got cucumber. issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hating on the cucumber tonight. That's, that's, that's what we're doing. All right. How do you evaluate a good business deal? Um, good business deal, I think has a few different things involved in it. Obviously it's origins, um, the money that's been put into it, how it's evolved. And obviously the people who are behind it. I mean, that's half of a, any good opportunity is the people, um, people can have a great idea, but if they're an asshole, uh, people aren't going to want to work for them. People aren't going to work from them, work with them. Um, and likewise, and there's certain people who just, they'll put their all into something. And so it, it needs to be a good, unique idea, something different. Um, it needs to show that there's been some due diligence done to make sure it's on the right avenue and it has to have the proper people involved. Beautiful. How do you identify a good business partner? Similarly, uh, you know, one thing we always say, we, we joke with people, um, when I've worked with people in the past, there's people who are assholes who know what they're doing, um, and you can tolerate them because they get the job done, but you don't want to work with them. Then there's really sweet people, but they suck at getting anything done. And then there's the kind of the combination of people who are really great at what they do, and you can have a beer with them. Those are the people. Uh, anyone who values work hard and also family life are the type of people I like to work with. Beautiful. I like that. I like, I like that. The, 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 would you have a beer test? Do they, you know, would, would you have a beer with them? But do they also know their shit? Like that, that's a, that's a nice uh, sort of combination there. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of intersection right. of those, of those two. I like that. Right. It could be coffee too. If they don't drink, I, I don't judge, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> what is one of your proudest moments? Um, that is a great question. You know, uh, I, it's a it's an interesting question i mean I, I i think of proudest and happiest and there's a variety of things that could come to mind quickly um you know going back to high school winning a, a wrestling tournament championship to being promoted to chief growth officer but really like the birth of my daughters you know like those are those are what complete me right so nice what's one interesting fact about you that not many people would know i have a twin brother um i often refer to him as arnold schwarzenegger to my danny devito uh he is a uh, Tall, dark, and handsome, and I have the gift of gab, but it works well. Nice. What, so he's, you are dramatically different sizes? He, he's he got about three inches of height on me and uh, about, you know, three inches of muscle mass in his arms. But uh, we're, we're very similar. We're very different in many ways. He's very quiet. He hates technology, which is the opposite of me. But, you know, growing up, we were both leaders in different ways. He was captain of football. I was captain of soccer, both captains of wrestling. You know, I was in student council. He preferred to sit in the, in the shadows. But... Uh, He's a leader in his industry of what he does. I'm a leader in what I'm doing. So we, we, we play well. Nice. 
What daily routines do you have, whether morning or evening, that have helped make you successful? I think for me, uh, the biggest things are getting up in the morning and working out. That's actually something that's become much more uh, new to me during COVID. Um, having lost that big uh, New York City commute in and out of New Jersey has been beneficial for getting more rest, but also getting a morning run or morning uh, Peloton ride, and it's been huge for me getting my focus going. Um, I think also, you know, at night, one of the things I do with my daughter before I put them to bed is we ask them, you know, what do they dream about? And, you know, what are they grateful for? You know, and practicing gratitude is something that's it's huge because it gives you perspective on all the things you've worked hard for and uh, what you really appreciate and what you're lucky for. Nice. I like that. That um, What do you dream about question, actually? That's a, that's a, a new one, actually. I, I like that. One of the things sort of, you know, going off on a slight tangent there, one of the things I enjoy doing with my son so I basically taught him how to, um, to to do breath work, like deep breaths and calming breaths. But by, um, actually, I might be taking credit for this and it's my wife, but we both discuss, we, you know, we're a team anyway. But uh, what what we do is um, we, we say, we've taught him to, to breathe. So he has to breathe in like a big breath because we call it a lion's breath. And when he breathes out, it's like a kind of kind of sound so he has to have enough air in his his lungs and then by saying you know let's do a slow lion's breath he'd like breathe in even more and you know and and repeating that process over and over like it's, it has a remarkable effect for in terms of like it, it might be like high energy bouncing off the walls you know whilst at bedtime and it's a sort of calming sort of get back in place or it might be it, it's a it, yeah it's really really interesting the sort of the ways you can simplify things which are beneficial to adults to to utilize them um, with children like you said so you know asking what their their dreams are um it, you know is a huge one and in, in, in terms of um and what they're grateful for is, is is huge in terms of you know bestowing those those important beneficial habits early um so, so i like that what book or books changed your mindset or life um it's a good question. You know, I, there's so many industry books I've read and it's hard because they blur together. Um, you know, one thing I, I think, you know, to reference Dale Carnegie again, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think was a really great, amazing book for leadership in general, not just sales folks that I always go back to reread from time to time. I'd say one that's kind of a non-common one is one book called The Alchemist. Uh, you know, easy read, but uh, something interesting. And uh, your perspective. Uh, What's it, what's it about? Basically, it's about a, a person on a journey uh, trying to find something. Um, and they go on this journey without giving too much away. They find what they're looking for, but it, it comes in a roundabout way, and it's intriguing on how they actually find what they find and gives them some realizations as they do it. What's the most exciting question you spend your time thinking about? Exciting question? Um, I would say, what am I having for dinner? No, um, <laughs> I think uh, exciting question. You know, I I always wonder. You know, with my my kids, I love my kids dearly. So I've probably melted too much on this podcast, but um, you know, what are they going to be when they're bigger? You know, what are they going to be? Are they going to be a president? Are they going to be a doctor? Are they going to be an entertainer? You know, it's always interesting to watch them evolve. So I'm curious to see one day, you know, what is what is this going to become? You know, I have my five-year-old who's my heart, my two-year-old who I say is my courage. I actually nickname her Mayhem because she's uh, definitely the louder of the two. But they're both very strong and both loving in multiple ways. So it's, it's curious to see one day how that will, what that will become. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I like that. And uh, 
yeah, you know, sort of one day you see a, a new sort of love or obsession or um, interest in in a particular area, and and you, and you can sort of the, the entrepreneur and you can sort of say, oh, if you followed on this path, that might lead to this kind of this kind of thing. It's a it's like a fun um, sort of not game. It's not a game, but like a fun sort of process to go through to see how like that that could that pan out. And yeah, certainly. Um, not being able to skip to the end and see the answers uh, is it's an interesting journey. What advice would you give your younger self? Um, relax. You're, you're going to get there. Just keep calm and keep doing what you're doing. And realize the only competition you really have in life is yourself. What was your biggest challenge starting in business and how did you overcome it? I think the biggest thing with business in general, um, it's finding the thing you're passionate about putting your all into it but then making sure you surround yourself with the right people i think that's key because like i said earlier you, you can have the the right concept um but i mean business and even products or ideas it's all about the right thing at the right time um, and executing and execution comes with having the right people what unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out <laughs> so the one beautiful benefit of working at DFO Global is I've gotten to see the world um, and traveled quite a bit. And uh, our, our leadership is, our, they're amazing statesmen and they're very big on uh, when you go places, not just going and working, but, you know, trying and look, getting familiar with the local culture because you have coworkers there they want you to become, you know, more familiar with and understanding. And one thing I, I loved was a, a beverage I had in Taiwan called Baiju. And uh, it will knock your socks off. Um, but it's one of those things I've, when I've, I've brought bottles back and I've had friends give me bottles uh, here. And it's whenever, uh, you know, friends who have grown up with local who haven't been as fortunate to see parts of the world, they're like, well, what are you doing when you're over there? What do you try? I break out this bottle. And uh, it's definitely, it's an acquired taste if you're, if you're used to more of like a whiskey bourbon or a, a vodka. But uh, it's great seeing their reactions uh, to trying that. I love that. Yeah, there's certainly certainly some local. I mean, every single culture. I think that's one of the things that that unifies every single culture on the planet. That um, you know, even the like sort of the tr undiscovered tribes. You know, every one thing they have in common is they have created some form of alcohol. Um, I believe that was the the stat or something. And uh, yeah, certainly some of the some of the local ones are, um, as you said, an acquired taste. Um, if if you find yourself in Hungary, you should. Uh, uh, get involved. Oh man, I forget what I've got a bottle of it. Um, in my in my um, in my cupboard, and unopened, I might add. But uh, uh, it's it's a liqueur made from um, I want to say plums uh, or, or something. But it's it's mm. uh, yeah, it's as you said, an acquired an acquired taste. And often you'll be given it by a, a waiter in a restaurant after your meal with a sort of. He's got a smile on his face that says, do not turn down my, uh, my uh, gesture of uh, generosity here. And uh, you in turn drink this shot of murky purple liquid that you're not sure the strength of or, or really what it is. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun, fun translation into, into uh, a culture, should we say. Um, but Baiju. The, the, the Thai uh, sorghum. Yeah. I believe you can get it in, in multiple parts of Asia, but where I was first introduced, it was in Taiwan. I've had it in, in Vietnam as well, um, but it's uh, it's very good. Nice. And then final question, Mr. Salato. What makes you happiest? 
I mean, that's easy. Um, I mean, hands down, my my family, my beautiful, brilliant wife, my beautiful daughters, my extended family from parents, siblings, etc. Uh, even my in-laws are amazing people, which most people don't always say. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. Um, but outside of you know the, the immediate, I would say, a family, I think you know, continuing to learn, continuing to grow as an individual um, and helping others and inspiring others. I think the greatest thing any person could ever become is an inspiration because you can always improve yourself, but to be able to inspire, you're helping to improve others and that can come in multiples. Love that. That's that's um, wisdom and a half and a great answer to top off a great answer round. So um, that brings us to the end, pretty much to the end of the show. At this point, I'd like to ask you, do you have any asks or requests of the audience listening today? I would just say, if you guys have any questions about e-com performance marketing, please reach out. I'm happy to help. And so they can find you, Mr. David Salato, on LinkedIn um, or any of the other socials. Exactly. David.Salato.Difo.Global, Facebook, LinkedIn, all etc. All of the good stuff. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and to share your your wisdom, your your as I said, your uniquely placed to see so much of the e-commerce landscape, what's working, what's not, and where it's coming from. And 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 when you bring all that together, there is a tremendous wisdom um, to be to be learnt about e-commerce. And um, thank you for sharing with us some of the uh, the quick changes, the quick t- tweaks or tests, some of the things you're seeing work. In the, in the landscape and uh yeah keep keep crushing keep doing what you're doing and guys and girls listening if you want to check out dfo you can go to dfo.global see their website and um you know reach out if you want to bolster your your e-commerce game by um basically partnering with you know up to three thousand publishers out there that uh, you don't have to pay anything to until they start generating e-sales seems like a fair deal but dave Thank you so much once again, brother. It's always a pleasure to hang out. Thank you, my friend. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.